Isaiah 4, at verse 2. In that day shall the branch of Jehovah be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of justice and by the spirit of burning. And Jehovah will create over the whole habitation of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory shall be spread a covering and there shall be a pavilion for shade for a shade in the daytime from the heat and for a refuge and for a covert from the storm and from rain. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we have just now sung those words of William Cooper. Lord, we are few, but thou art near, and we confess honestly that we don't mind being few as long as thou art near. And we thank thee for the faith that thou hast given to us to know that thou art absolutely faithful in all thy promises, and thou hast promised to be near us always and ever, and especially when we gather together before thee to worship thee. We do pray that thou would help us, that thou would grant that God the Holy Spirit would enable the word to be proclaimed in truth and light, and that thou would enable each of us to hear and take to heart and mind thy truth. And may our wills be moved, O Lord our God, may they be melded to thy will, that they might become and becoming one will. For thy glory we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. We have been jumping off, if I can put it that way, from the 12th chapter of, uh, <coughs> of Isaiah, and I just want to remind you of that first verse of that 12th chapter that we have been looking at where Isaiah has said in that day thou shalt say or the Lord speaking through Isaiah of course I will give thanks unto thee O Jehovah for though thou wast angry with me thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me we have seen how that after the denunciations and the rebukes of the first chapter of Isaiah, after that had been set before the people and God's reason, his cause for being angry with his own special people, we begin to see prophetic promises. These promises begin to unfold in the second chapter that we looked at last time. And though they were, were perhaps dark and, and they were cloudy, uh, as the prophecies in the Old Testament often are, yet they are still there, and it was positive. God's anger is beginning to be turned away, we see in the second chapter. 
And I would remind you that Isaiah is speaking as though to his own contemporaries, as though they would, these contemporaries would, would experience this redemption that is beginning to be set forth in the second chapter and, and throughout the Gospel of Isaiah. Actually, one has said he is depicting the people of the future in terms of his contemporaries. This gratitude that's expressed in the 12th in that Psalm of Isaiah, this gratitude to Jehovah was not because he was angry. They weren't praising him because he gotten angry with them. They weren't thanking him for being angry with them, but the gratitude was being expressed because he had been angry. And I think we can imply uh, or infer uh, an agreement of Isaiah and many of the people that he had cause to be angry. They're certainly not contending with him about that, at least in this Psalm of Isaiah. They're thanking him and praising him that because he had been angry, but because he had turned his wrath aside, because he had turned his anger away. And we looked last week at the manner in which God turns his anger away from those whom he has chosen from before the foundation of the world. How that they, we, have made him angry many times, have displeased him, have saddened him, if we can put it that way. And yet he has found a way to be able to turn his anger away from his people. And though he was angry, to comfort them. In that day I will give thanks unto thee, O Jehovah, for though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Don't we have here the, what do I, the kernel or the, the nut meat of, of salvation? Don't we have the essence of God's dealing with sinners by his grace? That though we are sinners, wicked, terrible rebel sinners shaking our fists in his face, in the case of some of us for many years, and yet, in his love for us, that love that the scriptures tell us was be from before the foundation of the world, that he has devised a divine plan whereby he may be just and yet be the justifier of his people through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Though he was angry, his anger is turned away. He is Devised this way that he can turn his anger away from us who would not be able to take it, of course. We would be consumed, for he is the absolutely holy one of Israel, and he is yet a consuming fire. And if we came unto him in any other way than robed in Christ's righteousness, sprinkled with his blood, we would be instantly consumed by his holiness, that burning holiness. So this gratitude is expressed because he has turned his anger away. It 
great expense to himself. As we learned this morning in Sunday school, we don't know how much Isaiah knew about what the cost was. But I believe and I agree with the teacher this morning that they knew a whole lot more than we might imagine or that we might have imagined that they knew in those days. And Isaiah himself was a peculiarly adept writer and his book is very, very much to the point regarding salvation. After all, it was his book that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when Philip came upon him and preached Christ to him from those words. Who is this, who is being spoken of here? The eunuch asked. And Philip preached Christ. In that day, in that day, the Bible never teaches, I'm, I'm repeating something I said last week, but I think it's worth repeating, the Bible never teaches that the wrath of God is removed and that it simply is turned to love. Many people would teach that in effect, but that's not the truth. The wrath of God was not removed and turned into comfort either. If that were the case, it would present a low picture of the integrity of God. We understand that. God did chastise his people. And he did give them gracious promises of eventual deliverance. Of course, that chastening in the case of some is punishment. But for his own people, those whom he loves, he chastens in order that they don't perish. And this gospel, if you will, the essence of what we looked at in those few lines in chapter 12, it's expanded. This gospel is expanded. This remedy is expanded. The prophecy is expanded in these words that we have read in chapter four. In that day shall the branch and we heard something about the branch this morning as well. In that day shall the branch of Jehovah be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Them that are escaped, I believe, speaks of the remnant. The remnant of Judah, the remnant of Israel the remnant of Isaiah's contemporaries, but it speaks beyond that, as we've indicated before. It speaks to those that God is intending to save through the blood of his own beloved son, Jesus Christ. This speaks of the remnant. And it shall come to pass that he that is left, again, the remnant, he that is left, the remnant in Zion, and he that remaineth, which I believe is a cognate of remnant, in Jerusalem, shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living. Everyone that is written among the living. Not everyone is written in the book of life. Not everyone is written among the living. This again is the remnant. The remnant are those whose names are written in the book of life. 
among the living in Jerusalem, Isaiah is saying, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of justice, it's according to justice <coughs> that he's able to do this, to be just and the justifier of those whom he has determined to save, to rescue, to spare. From the midst thereof, by the spirit of justice and by the spirit of burning, in fire, metaphorically speaking, in fire. In, in Matthew 3, in verse 3, I think that we have it used as a metaphor there as well. Matthew 3, verse 11, I'm sorry, not 3. I indeed baptize you in water, John the Baptist said, unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. That may have a connection. It may be metaphorical and have a connection with what Isaiah has been directed and led to say here. And we know that Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 3 of those whose works may be burned in fire. Again, it could be that they're actually going to be burned in fire, but it's likely used metaphorically in many uh, instances as well. And Jehovah, Isaiah continues in this chapter, will create over the whole habitation of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day. We read much in the Old Testament of the cloud and the smoke as well as fire, the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory shall be spread a covering, a covering. Over all this is going to be spread a covering. God is going to cover his people. He has covered his people. He has provided a covering, even the blood of his own beloved son. He shall spread a covering and there shall be a pavilion for a shade in the daytime from the heat and for a refuge and for a covert from storm and from rain. E.J. Young in his commentary on this book says that the more one ponders the text in its context, the more cogent does the messianic interpretation become. And I certainly can't bring myself to disagree with that in any way. The more one ponders the text in its context, the more cogent does the messianic interpretation become. In fact, Young goes on to point out that the Targum, an Aramaic translation or paraphrase of a portion of the Old Testament, translates this Isaiah 4:2 as, at that time shall the Messiah of the Lord be for joy and glory. At that time shall the Messiah of the Lord be for joy and glory. In that day thou shalt say, I will give thanks unto thee, O Jehovah, thou who comfortest me. But in the words of Isaiah in our copies, in that day shall the branch of Jehovah be beautiful and glorious. That branch, the Targum translates as the Messiah of the Lord. Even as we, 
understand it to be a reference to the Messiah. For we need to remember again and again that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and through what? Through comfort of the scriptures, comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope and peace are integral for true comfort. We're looking at comfort here. We're looking at the end of this verse, 12.1. Thou comfortest me. Because his anger had been turned away. His people are going to be comforted, and they have been comforted. Thou comfortest me. On the road to Emmaus, two disciples were despondent, you remember, in Luke 24. We are told that they stood still when Jesus came near. They were looking sad. They told Jesus what had happened in Jerusalem recently. And their response echoed their despondency. They said, we hoped that it was he who should redeem Israel. This one that had been crucified. We had hoped that it was he who should redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was to be our comfort. Even as we heard something this morning about Noah and his name and him being a comfort. And turning away, turning aside, as it were, the curse upon the earth through the flood. But when they said, we hoped, we had hoped that it was he that should redeem Israel, Jesus responded critically, I think. Oh, foolish men. That's pretty critical. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe. That's critical. Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Behooved it not the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He comforted them, did he not? Was he not comforting them with these words, these despondent disciples? These poor, sad individuals? And did they not say later to the others, our hearts were burning within us as he spoke to us. They were indeed comforted. We might even say in a sense that they were comforted by fire. Their hearts were burning within them as they were comforted by the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the keys in this whole issue of comfort, in this whole issue of assurance, is the scriptures. Comforted through the scriptures by the word and the spirit. We read in 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 in the first verses 3 through 5. Listen how often in just these few verses we see the word comfort employed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. God of all comfort. Any comfort that we have ever enjoyed or that we shall enjoy is from the God of mercies the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our affliction. We struggle when we're afflicted, 
by things that perhaps are even mundane and we get rattled and we get this and that and then things that are not so mundane we get despondent like these disciples on the road to Emmaus in all our afflictions but we, and we look back and we see that he comforted us it may not have seemed so at the time but he was comforting us and we can look back and see that he was comforting and that he did comfort us and we should conclude from that that he will comfort us in all our afflictions to come. That we may be able to comfort, again that word, them that are in any affliction through the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Jesus himself is our great comforter. He is our comforter. Thou comfortest me. The comforter is come. The comforter is come. We think about that wrath of God upon the earth, and yet the grace of God shown to Noah and even prophesied through Lamech, his father, in naming him. Is it not incredible that such a horrific display of God's wrath would result in comfort? And yet we read it intimated that that's in fact the case. In Genesis in the eighth chapter, we read these words in 20, verse 20 of eight. And Noah builded an altar unto Jehovah and took of every clean beast and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Jehovah smelled the sweet savor, and Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. I will not again curse the ground. There's, a, there's going to be a certain comfort, comparative comfort now. And that was evidently, prophetically, why Noah was named with that name that he shall be a comfort, he shall be a comfort. But more importantly, our Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples in John 14, 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. He shall give you another comforter. What does that tell us? that Jesus Christ himself is our comforter. When he goes away, he's going to pray, and he's going to, the Father's going to give us another comforter because Jesus, our comforter, is going away. I will give you, he shall give you another comforter. Jesus is, among many other things, even our all in all. He is also our comforter. He has come to comfort his people. He is our comforter. He is our great comforter. And he has brought us comfort through his love, through his death, his loving death, his dying love. He has come to comfort his people. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sin. And through that, comforting his people. Branch here again, as we've heard, 
means that which springeth up, a shoot, a branch. The Messiah is a branch of Jehovah, either as to his eternal generation or as the restorer of his chosen people. And this word branch is used in Jeremiah and it's used in Zechariah, as we heard this morning again. But in that day, I say a four two. In that day shall the branch of Jehovah be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. In 28.5 of Isaiah, in that day will Jehovah of hosts become a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty unto the residue or remnant of his people. Those that escape of Israel that I say is speaking of. Those that escaped of Israel are a beautiful picture of the remnant in the last days. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. What is it that's to comfort us? Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. What is it that's to comfort her? That her warfare is accomplished. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she hath received double for all her sins. And then we read the voice of one that crieth, Prepare ye in the wilderness the way of Jehovah. Make level in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the uneven shall be made level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of Jehovah shall be revealed. When is the glory, when was the glory of Jehovah revealed that Isaiah is referencing here that's going to comfort all the people again? I believe it's our Lord Jesus Christ, the comforter of his people. The glory of Jehovah shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Jehovah has spoken it. Again, Matthew 3, for this is he that was spoken of through Isaiah the prophet. That's a reference to John the Baptist. And when Isaiah spoke of him, pointing to another, who was it that that crier was pointing to? It was our Lord Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, God's anger against mankind has been turned away. For he is our peace. Christ Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Another one of his names that Isaiah gives him. There's comfort expressed in this passage in Isaiah 4. It's a continuation, an embellishment, an enlargement of this redemption that's foretold. Comfort. The last verse says, there shall be a pavilion for a shade. We read in the scriptures about God and Christ being, his people are under the shadow of his wings. There shall be a pavilion for a shade in the daytime from the heat and for a refuge and a covert from storm and from rain. Do not these things express and speak of comfort? 
Would it not be a comfort in a storm to find some shelter? In the heat to find some shade? These things speak of, a, of comfort. And I assert that Jehovah Jesus is our pavilion. He's our shade from the heat, any heat. And he is our refuge. He is that rock, that high tower, our refuge, our comfort. He is our covert from storm and rain, from anything that comes upon us, from all afflictions, from all enemies. If ISIS pours into the United States, he is our covert. He is our refuge. He is our high tower. It doesn't matter whether it's a thunderstorm or whether it's an army of millions. He himself is our comfort. Comfort through peace, through giving his people peace. He is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. It shall come to pass in that day, in Isaiah 9, that the root of Jesse, that standeth for an ensign of the peoples, unto him shall the nation seek and his resting place shall be glorious. His resting place shall be glorious. If a resting place is anything at all, it's a comfort. He is our comfort. He told his disciples and he tells us in this same proclamation, I will not leave you desolate. I come unto you. In the King James, it's rendered, I will not leave you comfortless. Many others translate that, I will not leave you as orphans. But he will not leave us comfortless. He will not leave us desolate. He will not leave us without a father as orphans. He will send another comforter. He is our comforter and he will send another comforter. He will not leave us desolate. He will not leave us in the lurch. He will not leave us to ourselves. Perhaps the greatest comfort a believer can possess is the assurance that he is in the hands of God and Christ and that none is able to pluck him out of their hands. The assurance that we have been chosen by a sovereign father saved through the blood of the sovereign son of God and regenerated by the power of the sovereign Holy Spirit. Speaking of assurance, Thomas Brooks said this in order to caution people from putting any stock in their own feelings, in their own sense. In other words, how they feel, how they react, and so on to things. Not trust their own responses and so on. He says, to make sense and feeling the judges of our spiritual conditions, what is it but to make ourselves happy and miserable? At the same time, he means. Righteous and unrighteous at the same time. We're doing one of these things. Trying to allow, if we allow our senses or our feelings to judge what our spiritual condition is. Rather than the word of God, crying unto God the Holy Spirit to take that word of God, the scriptures, and to show us 
even as Christ spoke of God, the Holy Spirit, that he will take the things of himself and show them to us. But don't trust your feelings, your senses, your own judgment. The word of God has been given us. God, the Holy Spirit, is indwelling us. We would be making ourselves righteous and unrighteous at the same time, saved and damned, Brooks said. In one day, yea, in one hour, what is this but to toss the soul to and fro and to expose it to a labyrinth of fears and scruples? What is this but to cast a reproach on Christ? He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us he left us his word. He left his church, his body. And we're going to trust our feelings. We're going to trust our own senses. Definitely a reproach. It's to gratify Satan and to keep yourself on the rack. Torturing yourself, you understand. Well, doubting souls, Brooks says, the counsel that I shall give you is this. Be much in believing and make only the scriptures the judge of your condition. Maintain the judgment of the word against the judgment of sense and feeling. If you resolve to make sense and feeling the judge of your conditions, you must resolve to live in fears and lie down in tears. Put me in mind of Pilgrim's Progress. that portion of that lovely allegory where Christian or pilgrim loses his scroll. We read in that, and I've just taken some excerpts, but we read, now as he stood, as this is Christian looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with peace be to thee. So the first said to him, thy sins be forgiven. The second stripped him of his rags and clothed him with the chains of raiment. The third also set a mark on his forehead and gave him a roll or a scroll with a seal upon it, which he bid him look on as he ran and that he should give it in at the celestial gates. So they went their way. We read a little later, then he pulled his roll out of his bosom and read therein, to his comfort. He also now began afresh to take a review of the coat or garment that was given him as he stood by the cross. It was after his burden rolled away that the shining ones came and gave him these things and gave him this role. Thus pleasing himself a while, he at last fell into a slumber and went into a flat, fast sleep. Here's the warning that Bunyan is presenting. He fell asleep, which detained him in that place until it was almost night. And in his sleep, his roll fell out of his hand. Through negligence, his roll fell out of his hand. But thinking again of what he had heard from the men, he felt in his bosom for the roll, we read later, that he might read therein and be comforted, but he felt and found it not. This is when he discovered that he didn't have it anymore. Then was Christian in great distress and knew not what to do. For he wanted that which used to relieve him and that which should have been his pass into the celestial city. Oh, that I had not slept, he cried. 
Now by this time he was coming to the arbor again where he had slept. He's gone back to look for it. He sat down and wept, but at last, looking sorrowfully down under the settle, there he espied his roll, the which he with trembling and haste catched up and put into his bosom. He brought that roll back. That roll was his represented his assurance. That roll represented the scriptures that hold for him that assurance. He needs to be reading the word, even as Brooks said. The roll, this was his, his earnest, his down payment, his assurance, and it was sealed. Sealed by the Spirit, we can assume Bunyan had reference to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in whom ye also, Paul wrote, having heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having also believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The promises are important for our comfort. They have been given to us, not only for instruction and understanding, but for our comfort, and they're sealed. The Holy Spirit of promise, which is an earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of God's own possession, unto the praise of his glory. You know what an earnest is, what a down payment is. You want a receipt for a down payment, and you, and you take that and, and you're able to show, yeah, I purchased that, and so on. This speaks of the believer's assurance, which is his comfort, which is his peace. Peace, again going back to Isaiah, peace, comfort, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Paul deals with this in Romans 5 when he wrote, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace, comfort, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Our comfort is in that grace wherein we stand in the scriptures. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul deals with assurance, I believe, a few chapters later in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What greater comfort can be had than that is had through the assurance that we are at peace with God. That we have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we have peace with God because of the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is that not comfort? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It has all been laid to Jesus Christ our vicarious substitute, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The answer is no one, not even our own selves. Is this not comfort? You remember old Simeon? He took up the baby Jesus in his arms and blessed God. He was looking for the consolation, the comfort looking for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel, the Lord's Christ. And here he was, this babe in his arms. 
the comfort of all his people. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Let us pray. Our Father, we have some awareness of what it costs thee to provide us this comfort, to provide us thy son, and what it cost him to come. We, can't, we can scarcely even understand, we cannot comprehend, but we thank thee that thou hast enabled us to apprehend the love of Christ, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Oh, Lord our God, we thank thee and praise thee for that incredible, infinite, eternal love that the triune God has for his people. We thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand for the benediction from Isaiah 54 and verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed but my loving kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall my covenant of peace be removed, saith Jehovah that hath mercy on thee. Amen.